0: Welcome once more to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and I'm glad to have you with us today for our final episode of the eighth season, and that will be with Sister Michaela Martinez. Sister Michaela, is a Dominican sister of St. Cecilia, as well as a 2006 graduate from Notre Dame. So Sister Michaela, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: We're glad to have you. We'll start at your childhood. Can you tell us some about your early years and some of the impactful moments there, please?
1: Sure. So I am a Texan, and I'm proud of it. I grew up in West Texas. I have two sisters, a younger brother, and I was very blessed that Throughout my childhood, we were very active in the faith. My my parents were very faithful to uh, forming us in the faith, getting us to church, but also also helping us to grow spiritually. So uh, I have very fond memories as a child sitting in the the front pew at mass while my parents both sang in the choir. Mm -hmm. So faith was always a part of my life. I was able to attend Catholic schools and start to fall in love, even at a young age, with the faith came to know it. I was exposed to religious sisters Mm -hmm. in my parish when I was young. And I, I remember actually my parents, since my parents were in the choir, my sisters and I would sit together and we would wait, we'd be there early, but we'd wait until the sisters at our parish would come in and they would find their seats And I would always trade spots with my siblings in the pew so that I could be the closest (laughs) to the sisters. So even as a young child, I had that attraction to Uh. religious life and to the sisters. But we moved when I was probably in, in first or second grade. And at that point in my life, there weren't as many sisters around. So while I had been exposed to religious life, it kind of fell off my radar a little bit and just... Instead, as I grew up, it's very normal growing in faith, but also just in those everyday desires to be a, a woman who's successful, who falls in love, who gets married, all those things. But I, when I got to, excuse me, when I got to high school, there wasn't a Catholic high school where I grew up, so I switched to a interdenominational Christian school. Hmm, okay, and that's really where I started to fall in love myself with Jesus, to fall in love with my Catholic faith, because I was the only Catholic around, my, my family, and, and I, we were the only Catholics around. So I got a lot of questions about what it means to be Catholic. Why do Catholics do this? Why do Catholics believe this? And mm-hmm. I didn't always know. <laughs> and I would go home and we'd sit around the dinner table and we'd ask mom and dad. And our parents were so good about finding answers that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was buying all sorts of books, uh, Scott Hahn books, Jeff Cavins books and studying. He would order them in bulk. <laughs> I remember just piles of books in the back of my dad's car and he would hand them out to anybody who was also wanting to learn the faith. But those were great years for growth, for me and for my whole family.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful environment to grow in your faith. And possibly explore a vocation. Speaking about music, because both of your parents were in the choir, was music a really important aspect of your faith growing up?
1: Yes, absolutely. I, My parents were active in it. And so it increased that desire for us to sing. We were singing at home so as long as I can remember and singing in the car as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. But we also we were able to take piano lessons from the time we were young. My parents wanted us to be exposed to sacred music and classical music. And so I continued that into in high school, singing in the choir, in college. So at Notre Dame, I was also in the folk choir. I loved my experience there. Mm-hmm. And Then after graduation, entering the congregation of St. Cecilia, as you mentioned, our patroness is St. Cecilia, who is the patron of the arts. And so even that love for music helping to draw me to the community that I entered, all of that, all of that fit in together.
0: What do you think it is about music that draws us closer to our faith, especially in prayer?
1: That's a great question. Music has a way of, of touching the human heart. I, I always like to think about how musicality, like the ability to make music is, is proper to the human person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part, of, part of the creativity that is ours as, as intelligent and, and creative beings who are able to love. And I think that music can stir our hearts to that love and we see that in, in classical music. I, I'm currently, I'm a teacher. I teach high school and I'm teaching apologetics. And I was just talking to the girls about going to a live symphony orchestra. And, and you sit and you hear the music and you see it unfold and you feel it in your bones and you think, God must exist. <laughs> music has a way of drawing us into the infinite and helping us to realize not only that he is, but that God. God is beautiful and he wants to draw us to himself. He wants us to experience his beauty. So I think it can lead us into prayer. I think it can lead us into worship, but also when we're at prayer at mass, we know this at mass that the music that we sing at mass is meant to bring us into understanding of of the mysteries. And in private prayer, I love to sing hymns and praise and worship songs during adoration because I think it can awaken our hearts and it can give us the words when we don't know what to say to help us to speak to God, to help us to encounter God.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've often had the experience at Mass when I might be distracted or my prayer isn't as deep as I'd like it to be. And a piece of music comes on and sort of just the emotion yes. naturally swells within me. And I think... Yeah, that is what I believe, and that is what I'm about. And without the music, it probably, I wouldn't have gotten to that depth of prayer that quickly.
1: Yes, and, and I think too, hearing it, hearing a song that another has written or singing a song with other people, that, that sense of belonging to something beyond me. So bringing us into communion with God, but it's so powerful to experience that communion with other people. And I think music allows us to do
0: that as well. Yeah. So returning to these religious sisters you encountered when you were young, yes. what order were they and what do you think was attractive about their life to you, even at a young age?
1: It was the sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. I hope I remember that correctly. But they they did wear habits. They taught in our school. There were maybe three of them. There and the sisters were, of course, kind and and beautiful. I never had one as a teacher in the classroom, but it was just seeing them together, so that witness of community and seeing habits, there was something that set them apart. It was something mysterious,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: beautiful. (laughs) Those are those are the words that just come to mind: the, the mystery and the beauty of of who they were at prayer. And I couldn't understand it then, but I was attracted to it. And I even, when we found out we were moving, I remember drawing a picture of myself in a habit. And my mom took me to the convent. I knocked on the door and gave it to the sister and said, one day I'm gonna come and live with you. Hmm. And that sense of just wanting to belong to something so beautiful. and, And to see that women, there were people who gave everything to the Lord. And I thought, how incredible. Is, is that something that I might be able to do one day? I think I only met one of those sisters again much later, and actually at, at Notre Dame, but I, hmm. I haven't been able to keep in, in touch with the community at all.
0: Yeah. And of course, God can use all kinds of encounters even early in life, whispers of a future vocation that crescendo into a course, if you will, later on. And so we'll hear more about that. But first, turning to your time at Notre Dame, what went into the decision to come here?
1: Oh, I really, it was the experience of being at a school that wasn't Catholic, Mm -hmm. because it made me realize that there was so much about the faith I didn't know yet. And it also helped me to see that the more I learned about my faith, that the more I was able to love God and the goal was always to love God, but to realize knowledge was one of the paths there. And so I decided that I wanted to study theology and I applied to only Catholic schools, great schools that university of Dallas and Franciscan university. And I would have loved to have been at either of those places. I, visited Notre Dame. And like a lot of people who visit Notre Dame, I just fell <laughs> in love with it, the, the campus and the community and the traditions. And I just thought, wow, I want to be part of this. So once I visited the campus, I was pretty much sold <laughs> on going to Notre Dame. But I, I knew no matter where I went that I would I would want to study theology um, and study music. I got a minor in music at Notre Dame as well. And that was a program that wasn't yeah, the music program at Notre Dame seemed like the most attractive at that time. So,
0: mm-hmm. And you mentioned being part of the folk choir. A lot of people listening to this podcast will be familiar with the folk choir, but some may not. So could you tell us what the folk choir is and why that was so meaningful to you during your time as a student here?
1: Yeah, sure. So the folk choir was uh, Steve Warner started the folk choir, and he was the— director while I was there. And I think this is true of me and a lot of other people in the choir. He was he was like our campus dad and mm-hmm. he had a gift for has a gift for building community. And so when I was thinking of choirs that I might want to be in, I heard about the that sense of a faith community that was was part of being in the folk choir. And the the music of the folk choir was familiar with the traditional hymns that I had learned growing up, but also blended with, I guess you could say like multicultural sounds or sure. universal sounds and, and contemporary that Steve Warner was writing new music. And and so it was kind of bringing together like the traditional that I had in my Catholic faith and then the more contemporary that I learned when I was at a, a non-Catholic school, but also just the, the community was huge to me. And so when I when I got to Notre Dame, I'd heard about the folk choir before. And I remember even emailing uh, Steve ahead of time to say, I want to, I want to look into your choir. And he was so gracious. And it it ended up really forming my, my time at mm-hmm. Notre Dame that the, the friends that I made and the things I got involved in were often through friends that I met in folk
0: choir. Mm-hmm. And what was that experience of being up in the loft and, singing for some of those high holy moments of liturgy, did you get a different sense of what it meant to lead people in song, as opposed to being a regular member of the congregation?
1: Absolutely. The basilica is just so beautiful. And to be up in the loft, the first thing is just taking in that beauty and and kind of like music, visual beauty is is so much a part of our faith. Yeah. And so to be in that space one of the great things of Notre Dame is how many chapels there are all around campus, (laughs) but to be in the basilica where it's so grand I I think that was that was probably the first experience and to feel the sound of the, the organ pipes, but to look over the congregation, absolutely. And I think because we were in the back and and looking out at the altar with everyone, there was a sense of being, being part of the community as we all approach the altar together so that it never felt like, you know, we're up in front, we're a choir, we're, we're singing, look at us Mm. to be able to be up, in the loft and, and sing out and sing with kind of like pushing, if you will, uh, others guiding them to the altar. Uh, but one of, one of my favorite memories of being in the loft as part of the choir was at the good Friday liturgy,
2: mm-hmm. or
1: no, I guess it would have been passion Sunday. So passion Sunday, good Friday could have happened either time, okay. but at the reading of the passion, when the congregation is is responding and you get to the part where the crowd cries out, crucify him. The way that we led it as a choir was it started with this murmuring and different people in the choir kind of murmuring, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then one of the guys in choir would just yell out mm-hmm. across the basilica, crucify him. And, and the, Drama. Nobody likes to say that Hmm, on (laughs) on Passion Sunday. Like that, why is that the line we get right? But to be that experience, I think about it every Holy Week. That sense of being part of community, yes, but that also is part of that community. We we are, you know, part of. We're why the Lord came, or why the Lord came. We needed Him to die for us. But that's that's one of my, as ironic as that sounds, it's one of my fondest memories, or maybe the memory
0: that is impacting me the most was at that Passion Liturgy. Yeah. Well, I've got chills or goosebumps because I remember just being a part of the congregation during those liturgies and really just being caught up in the drama. Yes. Of that I'm part of this story. Yes. That my salvation is wrapped up in these events that happen long ago but really are being made present again to me during this mass so i remember that distinctly thanks for sharing that i know that you studied abroad in rome and i assume that that may have been an important moment for you can you tell us some about that time please yeah
1: absolutely it was it was maybe the most important semester of my life was that that (laughs) semester I was abroad. I I went the fall of my junior year. Okay. And I wanted to go to Rome. I I'd visited Rome with my family growing up and just fell in love with the city, the history of it. And well, at the same time, there's the life, you know, it's so alive still. And, and then also that it is the city of the church. And I, so, so much of my, traction or my or my life with the Lord was that falling in love with my Catholic faith, and so I I wanted to be in the heart of the church, literally. Like I wanted to be there and experience the Wednesday audiences and the papal masses, and so that's why I chose Rome.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I and then when I was there, I just walking through St. Peter's. It, people who studied abroad in Rome know that we would live north of the Vatican and we would study south of the Vatican, so literally had to walk through St. Peter's twice a day and okay. just experiencing the church in that way and seeing John Paul II almost every Wednesday and, and seeing the the priests and the cardinals and, I, and all of this, just experiencing the church. It made me fall in love with the church even more, but also to start ask that question of where, what is my place in this church?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I want to serve her. Like that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm at Notre Dame. That's why I'm studying theology. I want to serve the church. I want to be for the church. But what does that look like for me? What does that look like for me as a woman? What does that look like for me personally? And one of the uh, the classes that I was taking when I was in Rome was called Pathways of Faith. And we'd study the Catechism, and then we would go to all these the famous basilicas in Rome and then learn the faith through the mosaics and the statues and the paintings and and so the the priest that was teaching us that class he i remember at one point in the class he just stopped and he was like you know probably some some at least one person in this room is is called to be a priest and and probably at least one of you is going to be a sister and it was that moment of wait, was he looking at me when he said that? you know, and my and my stomach drops, and I'd been thinking that semester about what is what is my place? you know, what is God calling me to? And I ended up talking to that priest later and and he encouraged me to ask big questions like that. And he encouraged me to to look at what the church said about it. He recommended that I read Muliaris dignitatum, which is the document, the encyclical of Pope John Paul II on the dignity and vocation of women. Sure. And everyone should read it. It's absolutely beautiful. I've read it again and again, Mm -hmm. but in reading that document, just seeing that thats where we get that idea of the feminine genius. Like what is the unique feminine heart and what does she give to the church? And, And it's all rooted in Mary as the model of faith for all of us, but particularly the model of faith for women. And so, as I, I was reading that, and I was learning, and I was realizing more and more uh, the call that I had to be a mother, to be a bride, and whatever that, whatever way I lived that out as a married woman, as a sister. I uh, so I, I talked to that priest again, and I after reading it, and I thought, "Well, how am I supposed to know what what God actually wants for me? I have the big picture, but how do I know what He wants for me?" And Right. And he said, well, you pray. Mm. And he said, I, you need to pray for 15 minutes every day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I guess there's no city that that's going to be easier than it is in, in Rome, right? Because there's <laughs> right. four churches on every corner. So I thought, okay, all right, I can do this 15 minutes before the Blessed Sacrament. And and so I did. I started doing that. And my favorite church quickly became Santa Maria in Trastevere. hmm which was right beside John Cabot, which was the, the university we were studying at at that time. And I liked going there. There was a side. I wish I could show everyone a picture right now. <laughs> but there's, a, there's the main aisle and then the two side aisles. And up, up the side aisle on the right was where the Adoration Chapel was. And you could go as a beautiful tabernacle that looks like an ark, the big white cross on it. And there were these big gates that would be open and pews so that you could sit in front of the tabernacle and pray. And, and the bells would chime every 15 minutes. So I knew when my time was up, yeah. and I would just go and pray there uh, every day. And and one day when I was praying, I was telling the Lord everything I wanted, right? On one hand, I'm saying, Lord, what is your will for me? But really I'm telling the Lord my will for me. And mm-hmm. just, I knew that God the the scriptures tell us that god wants to give us the desires of our heart and so i was boldly telling the lord all of my desires and i think at the core of a woman's heart right to to just be loved Mm -hmm. that's true of all of us but to be loved that that wonderful experience of falling in love and and i remember thinking i just want to be somebody's favorite girl I just want to be married. I want to have a big family. I I promise God I'll raise them all Catholic. (laughs) Um, I want to serve the church. I want to travel the world. All these things that I wanted, and the Lord's a good listener. But I I realized I just had this moment, oh, I should probably ask God what He wants for me. And in a moment of courage, I did. I said, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want for me? Uh, What do you want And he said, I heard him in the quiet of my heart say, I want you for myself. Hmm. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, I am out of here. You know, sorry, Lord, not 15 minutes up, but we'll talk tomorrow. And so I got up to leave that little adoration chapel and those big iron gates that had always been open before <laughs> were closed wow. and I was locked in this chapel huh. and I have a very clear memory of like grabbing the bars of the gate and shaking it and then hearing my mom's voice in my head don't yell in church you know <laughs> so I'm thinking oh, somebody get me out of here yeah. uh, but nobody came so I thought well I guess I'll keep praying so I turned turned back to the tabernacle and I, I sat back down and I said okay God you've got my attention what is it that you want for me? And in that moment, God just started revealing to me that He not only knew the desires of my heart, but that He'd put them there. Hmm. And so He understood them far more deeply than I could. And, And He started to show me that everything I wanted, I wanted to be in love. And He said, I love you. You know, I want to be a bride and God said, I want you to be my bride. And And I said, but I want to have children. And he said, I want you to mother my children. And I came to understand that, that in a life surrendered to God totally, that all of those desires would be fulfilled more than I could imagine. And, and so I, I prayed, I said, Lord, I know enough to know that being your bride means being a sister. Hmm. And so I said, okay, um, if you want me to be a sister, then I give you my yes. And I will always remember this moment as the moment that you proposed to me. Hmm. And I, I prayed a little longer and the Lord gave me great peace. And after I don't know how long I got up to try again and I got up to leave and the gates were open. So who knows? Maybe it was my guardian angel, but I, I was walking out of the church and I was thinking to myself, why, why did I get locked in? What just happened? Why did everyone else leave? <laughs> and I got right out by the back door and I turned to the center aisle and I saw a bride, in a beautiful white gown and in a long veil, and I thought, oh Jesus, you want me to be your bride? So that that was, I guess you could say, a climactic moment. I, I it was important to me to finish my time at Notre Dame. And and so I I went back to campus and continued to just talk to the Lord about this and start discerning with the sisters in in Nashville. And so then after I I graduated, I entered the community that next August.
0: Okay. Wow. That is incredibly powerful. I'm just sitting here listening and taking it all in. So thank you for telling us that story
2: yeah.
0: how did you encounter the sisters in nashville and what was attractive about their charism and their life of being sisters as opposed to the other possibilities that you might have had in religious life
1: i had a few encounters with the sisters in nashville kind of surprising i I had had their CD when I was young, and I called the number on the back of the CD <laughs> for a project once. Okay, so I'd heard of the community. That was the first way I got to Notre Dame, and really within weeks of being there, I had a classmate in one of my theology classes, and and we were walking to. Our PE class—we all remember
0: yes, having to right. take <laughs> PE.
1: Like, what was it, six different rotations? Yeah, the
0: different modules. I don't think they do that anymore. Though I hear but...
1: there's no more swim test. I'm, I'm a little bitter about that.
0: I know it's a rite of passage. It seems like it's gone away. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. But, anyways, I remember it was—we were on our way to sign up for those PE rotations, and I realized this this friend of mine was saying, "Oh yeah, I have an aunt who's a sister." Huh. And I was like, oh really, that's really cool. Where is she a sister? And he said, In Nashville. And I was like, oh my goodness. I called them for an interview once. And he was like, Yeah, my my aunt's name is, is Sister Marie Jean. And I was like, That's the sister huh. that I talked to on the phone. So it was <laughs> this really small world moment. And then and then that sister ended up coming to the campus. And so I met her in person. And then I was working in Division. So when I was there, the summer times I would stay on campus to, to work at Indy Vision, and the sisters were studying at Notre Dame in the summers. So that's when I started to see them in, in community. And I remember running into them on campus and there were three sisters there at the time who could not have been more different. Hmm. And I would see them, but they were always laughing and so happy, even in, like just in their uniqueness. Like there was part of me that thought, "I bet these people wouldn't naturally chosen to be together." And yet God has placed them together, and they are so joyful. And it was it was so lovely to be with them. And so i I knew I, that was kind of how I got to know them a little bit more. And then because of that, I learned they had a retreat. Over Christmas break, uh-huh. and so I, when I after I got back from Rome, actually, I just I called the convent again, and I said, "I know you have a retreat. I want to come." <laughs> and you know, there was a little bit more of a process, but it was actually after we were in the fiestable. Is that right?
0: Yes. When.
1: We kind of, I had gone to the Fiesta Bowl with my okay. roommates, and then I had to go from the bowl game, like directly to the retreat <laughs> in Nashville. So I was, I had the retreat. And when I was at the convent, I, I honestly, the chapel, the, the new chapel had just been built. And it reminded me of the of Santa Maria in Trastevere, where I felt the Lord's invitation in that powerful way. So in that way, I, I felt right at home, even just by the the architecture and the beauty of the chapel, as far as looking at different communities, I I knew that I wanted to be in a community that was, I guess you could say traditional. It it was important to me that the sisters wear a habit, perhaps because that had been part of that mystery, that witness had been part of what was so attractive to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in a community that had young sisters because I... I knew that it would it would probably be hard to leave everything and, and give everything to the Lord. And I thought it'd probably be easier to do with other people my age. And, and so I thought, I want to go somewhere where there are young sisters. And, and so Nashville is actually that same priest in Rome that had, had led me to read Melias Dignitatum and, and pray in front of the Eucharist. He had also recommended Nashville to me. So, I went to visit because of those things I said, but what was interesting is once I got to Nashville, what I liked most about the community was seeing all the older sisters and they're meeting these sisters who were the one sister, I think was like 98 at the time. Yeah. And that she was so happy in the life and that these older sisters were just saying, there's no place like St. Cecilia, like honey, you've chosen the right place. You know, you just come right here and stay. And I thought these women, love it here still after a lifetime. <laughs> and they're holy. Like there was, there was a sense of beauty and peace about them. And I just thought, wow, this life works. Mm-hmm. And so it, it felt that like I felt at home for so many reasons. And, and so, yeah, I decided I didn't, I didn't really, really need to look any further. I didn't go visit a ton of communities. I knew the most important thing was being the bride of Christ. And, and that was really true for any sister, but that I'd been led to Nashville and felt at home there. And so that was it. I, I didn't need to go elsewhere. I just entered in Nashville.
0: Well, great. What What is the experience of the early years of religious life? And what were some of the joys and challenges that you encountered there?
1: Yeah. So the, the first years in, in community, you enter as a postulant, which means you're just kind of discerning your beginning and at that point i think probably that's the hardest part is just leaving everything yeah and like literally giving giving it all away i, I remember like oh i know that this friend of mine from musical theater really liked this outfit so i'm going to give it to her you know or i have these you know cute earrings and i'm like oh i i'm, I'm going to give it to so and so, but but then also just like knowing, okay, I'm leaving everything and giving it, giving it um, also to those in need, and, and so just getting rid of things. I think all of us in the it's easy in the world in our daily life to just get attached to little stuff. So getting you know just starting to simplify your life in that way is huge. But then even more so is that realizing I'm walking away in a real sense like not not that my friendships are going to die or that i'm not going to love these people anymore but i'm walking away from a lot of good friendships i'm walking away in a sense from my family uh, my beautiful family and it, it in a way that's true of anyone who you know moves to a new chapter of their life or to someone who gets married, that they're beginning a new. But in religious life, it's a radical leaving of everything and, and particularly relationships. And now that was what was hardest. I can, I can remember those prayers when I just thought, God, am I crazy? Mm. You have given me everything good. I have so many good and holy friendships. I have a beautiful family. Like what in the world am I doing? Mm. And just God saying, Trust me. You just you just have to trust me, and so that's hardest. That first step into the convent door, <laughs> I think, is the hardest. Yeah. But then through throughout those first years, so you have a year's a postulant, which you, you're not wearing the habit yet. You keep your name, your baptismal name, and you're just kind of experiencing the life. And and after one year, you receive the habit and a new name, and you become what is called a novice. And so as a novice, your uh, our novitiate time so is two years. And one of those years in particular is, is cloistered. So that just means enclosed. So uh, you don't really leave the convent. Uh, um, you're not going to school outside the convent. You're not teaching elsewhere. You are just living the life in the convent, learning about the vows. What does it mean to be the Lord's, learning deep, uh, more deeply how to pray. And then after that, that time of novitiate, then you make first vows. And and at first vows, you, your vows are for three years and you receive the black veil at that time. So the, the black veil is that sign of death to the world and, and then also consecration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you, um, after a time of temporary vows and then renewal of vows, it's after, at this point, it's after eight years that you make final vows. So for your whole life. Mm-hmm. And those, the vows that we take are, are poverty, chastity, and obedience. So this is, that's the first eight years, if you will, is, is becoming a full-fledged sister, if, if you want to call it that.
0: Yeah, eight years in uh, a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot more that went into that. What was your baptismal name for those who might remember you from campus? And what was it like to take on a new name in religious life?
1: Yeah, so at, at Notre Dame I was as known as Natalie and I taking on a, a religious name, it, it it's one of those neat things I think we all learn the Bible stories in you know, as as children in Sunday school of Abram becoming Abraham sure. and Jacob becoming Israel and Simon becoming Peter and Saul becoming Paul. And that there's a newness that when God calls you to this great mission that that He gives you a new name. And so at when that postulant year, when you're like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to have a new name. Uh, there's, there's that discernment of what, I don't know what name might God have for me. What is this new name? <laughs> and uh, you, we get to uh, make recommendations, I guess you could say. So we can pray through that, that postulant year. And we write down three names that we feel, I don't know, maybe it's the saints that we're devoted to. And then we turn those into mother and mother can either pick one of those three names or just give you any other name that she likes. So <laughs> sister Michaela was, was one of the names that I put down and uh, Michael is a family name. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, out of, out of love for my family, but also I have a great love of St. Michael and, and really his role as the guardian and, and prince and, and defender of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah, that whole experience of being in Rome and, and just loving the faith and being part of something so big as the Catholic Church. I, I have a great love of St. Michael because of that. And so picked the name Michaela uh, in honor of of Michael. But it, OK, I will say it's very funny experience hmm. to wake up in the morning, you know, the, the day you're going to receive the habit, you wake up in the morning and you think, OK, I know what my name is, mm-hmm. but I don't know what my name is going to be when I go to bed tonight, and huh. it, it's just a very funny experience. And it, it definitely does take time to learn to respond to a different name. Yeah, so it, it's it's beautiful. There's, it's there's it's fun, I guess you could say, but mostly it's a gift, and it's that marking of a new a new call. Uh, but very much, we don't renounce our baptismal names. Like my parents still call me uh, Natalie, and, and my friends who knew me before.
2: Mm-hmm
1: but yeah as i as I my life as a sister is is kind of marked as is, is under the protection of of Saint Michael.
0: That's beautiful. What do you remember about that moment of taking final vows and how that related to some of these other moments that you've shared with us over the course of your discernment?
1: it is yeah, it's hard to explain that moment where. Uh, you, so we, we kneel down uh, beside mother and we've, we've written out our vow formula beforehand and with, uh, we read it. So we kneel down and we place our hand on the constitutions of our, uh, our rule of life and constitutions of our community and profess our vows of poverty, chastity and obedience for all my life. And that, that phrase we've, we've done it before. And we've said for three years and made temporary vows, but yeah. that moment where you say for all my life, it kind of, <laughs> kind of takes your breath away. And, and then we pick up the, the book where we've written out our vows. Uh, we pick up the book and, and mother carries it to the altar and places it on the altar. And, and we sign our name. <laughs> we, we sign our life away <laughs> on the altar and, and, just to think that that, that so we talked earlier about like all of the, the being caught up in, in the story of our salvation and, and to stand there at the front of the altar and, and to place my life on the altar through the signing of my name. It's, it's powerful. It's, there's that moment of like I can't do this. yeah, but having the, the understanding that God's grace can. And that the only, the only way I could have gotten to this moment, the only way I could have made that step to enter the convent and, and gone through the, the, the stripping away of what is not of the Lord during those eight years and, and the coming to life, the life of grace. Like the only way I could get to this moment standing before the altar is by grace. And so I have to trust Lord that you are gonna receive these vows and that you are gonna give me the grace to, to do it, <laughs> to persevere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the other beautiful moments of, of vows is, is right before that we um, lay prostrate in front of the altar and the community, the congregation all sings the litany of saints around, like over us. Mm. And that I think was a moment that really connected to my own journey and my time at Notre Dame, I I think, especially through my experience at Indivision, coming to love the saints at that time and and learning how they were. I had this community of people around me, but also this community of saints in heaven. And so to be able to be prepared in those last moments before making final vows to hear the names of all these saints and and to hear this community praying over me, I, I think in that way, I felt very connected to my formation um at Notre Dame and, and in Rome where you're you know, you're walking around with the of the relics of all the saints. <laughs> so that yeah that's a very uh, powerful moment. But it, I, I've said it before, it it's all about being his bride, right? It's that's that's what it means. So that make taking vows at the altar is what a bride does, a bride and groom do on their wedding day, and mm-hmm. and making vows and signing it on the altar it was my wedding. It was it was the day that I I gave my life, you know, till death do us part, <laughs> except that death won't part us, right? Like I'm in luck, you know, death, <laughs> death brings me to see him face to face. Yeah. So very much it was, it was the wedding day, the, the fulfillment of that proposal in that chapel in Rome.
0: Well, and you could say of any vocation that more is asked of us than we are able to give ourselves. Yes. And only with God's grace, filling in the gaps, so to speak, and spurring us to a deeper love than we could have imagined ourselves giving, that we discover how much we're dependent on God's grace and love to show us the depth of our vocation. In your early years as a sister, where have been those moments where you've marveled at what God's grace has been able to accomplish through you and through the ministry of your community?
1: Yes. I Early on, I think one of the moments of grace was when things were starting to feel routine a little bit, or when the Lord was starting to feel a little distant. I just remember thinking, "Like Lord, where are you? Mm-hmm. And then it was at noon prayers. Like it, is, it wasn't even when we were chanting the office, just as we're praying the Angelus. And suddenly the Lord just gave me this sense of his presence and this little consolation of joy. And as I stood up to leave the chapel, I felt kind of like that quiet voice I felt in the chapel back in Rome, but I felt the Lord say, don't you know that I will always pursue you? Hmm. And I think back on that so often that it's, it's not a one and done that moment when I, said yes in that chapel, that moment when I made my final vows at the altar, that that's the beginning and that God in his mercy and his grace and his goodness is going to keep calling me to something deeper and that his word is effective. God said, let there be light. And it happened. And the, the same is true in our lives. God says, be mine. And the grace is there to do it. And, and God says, try something new, try a new ministry, travel to this city that you've never been to and, and teach this class that you've never taught before and live with these sisters that you, you don't even know yet. And But in doing that and saying those words over me, as the father says those words over me, that he gives me his beloved daughter, he gives me the grace to do it. And I, so I experience that every time we get a new assignment, we get a new assignment every year. Sometimes you go back to the same place, but and okay. that is always a moment of grace when you see, okay, here's <laughs> my name on the paper. Where is God calling me to be? And that surrender and that realization. Okay, I said, I said, Lord, wherever you need me, I'll be. And so that's always a gift. Those moments to practice obedience. Those moments in in community life where I realize my sisters are bringing me such joy. Or my sisters are giving me the strength to persevere when otherwise, if I'm honest, I don't know if I would get up at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> on my own, or I don't know if I would go to the chapel right now to pray mm-hmm. the office, but my sisters are, are supporting me or helping me. So that's always a, a source of great grace is in, in the community that the Lord has given me.
0: And what have been some of those ministries in which you've been involved?
1: Yeah. So mostly, mostly I've been teaching Well, almost entirely. I've been teaching since I left the novitiate. I was assigned to teach high school at a co-ed school in Knoxville. And then from there, I went to South Carolina and I taught junior high. I taught English and religion in a junior high. And then I was able to go back to Nashville and I taught at St. Cecilia Academy. So that's the school it's kind of our flagship school. It's the, it's the school that we were founded mm-hmm. to open. So we were founded for an art school to make an art school in Nashville, a school for girls, which is part of the reason our patroness is St. Cecilia. And then from that time, that, that Girls Academy is, is still open and running. So I was, I was able to go and, and teach at that school. And I loved that opportunity of being in the school. That, that was our founding school. And after I think it was four years there, I tried something new. Right, I, the Lord asked me to work in parish ministry, and so I was—I worked as the the director of family formation. And what that really entailed was working with adults or working with people who were preparing for marriage or preparing to baptize a child or mm-hmm. just walking with them, catechizing them. I was able to organize a lot of uh, parish, mission, parish missions and, and things like that, retreats. So those were, those were the three years I was out of a traditional classroom. I loved it in the sense of getting to teach adults or getting to teach young married couples that I wouldn't otherwise encounter in a classroom. But after that, I returned back to the classroom. So now I'm at Mount Sales Academy, mm-hmm. which is the other all-girls school that we teach at. Mount Sales is in Baltimore. And it also has a long history, so it was founded in 1852, so just a few years before our school in 1860. So it's I love being part of of history like that. It's a recurring theme in my life. But so I've I've really delighted in being back in an all girls school uh, with such a rich heritage.
0: I'm struck as you describe your time at the parish of thinking back to the time. As a young girl, you're seeing these sisters and the beauty and the mystery that was part of their life. Did you have any experiences in the parish where there were any young girls or young people who you could tell that they were intrigued by your life?
1: Yes, I I think so. And in, in some ways, I guess it's it's too soon to tell if, if some will... Enter. There's at least one seriously discerning entered our community. She hasn't made vows yet, but a young woman from Kentucky. So that's a grace to have been able to to get to know her and her family while I was there. But yes, just being in the pews at the at the parish. You're right. I never thought of that before. Actually, that hmm. the sisters in the pews on the Sunday mass had were the beginning of my vocation. And yeah, to be in in a parish in Kentucky it was so alive. This parish. The family life at this parish was incredible, just beautiful families and the church packed on Sunday mornings. And so to see all the young girls and to build relationships with them through catechesis, that yes, it opened doors. I've received letters from some of those young women who just have more questions about it or maybe want to visit the convent. And so, yeah, I suppose that, that seeds were planted in that way. That's really beautiful to think about.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. So you mentioned you're teaching in a high school. You talked about being in apologetics. What are some of the burning questions that are posed by young people today? And what do you think faith has in terms of answers for people?
1: I suppose that, that for young people, the, the questions that move all of us, we're, we're, first, we're first looking for that answer of who am I you're starting in high school to experience that friend like friendships and, and you have more freedom. And yet you're realizing that even these friendships don't fulfill me totally, or these things that I thought were going to make me happy. I teach seniors right now. So that desire to go to a school, but even getting into that school, is that really fulfilling me? And so I think part of it is just what will make me truly happy. That's, that is the burning question. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of I guess you could say weed through with the girls some of the things that won't, hmm. some of the things that the world tells us will bring us joy, but to get to a place where they're able to admit, wait a minute, there's got to be something more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think I think one of the other things actually today at school is an, an adoration day, so I, this is great. I love my job, right? I just all day I'm taking my girls to sit in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm and to teach them how to adore the Lord. But I, it's an important day every month because part of what we have to form young people in right now is simply how to be in the silence. Mm. We are in a very noisy world. We're in a world where we're very used to not being in communion with even people and in a physical way. And so it becomes harder to bind that communion with God if we if we haven't been exposed to it in our relationships. And I think also the the fact that God speaks in our hearts, he speaks in the silence. If we're just used to noise, it, it takes courage. It takes practice to be quiet. And so teaching the girls how to pray is huge. Teaching the girls just the tools for for spiritual growth. We we spend a lot of time talking about spiritual reading and the importance of that and what are some books and find books that you like that you can keep reading beyond your time at, at Mount of Sales or what types of prayer work for you or grow in self-knowledge. Like all, all these things that we want them to be equipped for Pursuing holiness, no matter where they end up, mm-hmm. and those there's there's things that are necessary for all of us. This is the, the saints tell us this: to love the sacraments, to spend time in in meditation of God's word, and so that is the privilege of being a teacher is is to form the girls, to equip the girls, to then go pursue holiness, to go and become the saint that they're called to be, that only they can be, because mm-hmm. that's that's what will make them happy, right? Like the only sadness is not to become a saint. Hmm. And so that, that's the question. I don't know if they would ask it that way, like how am I supposed to be a saint? <laughs> but that's where they're going to find the answer.
0: Right. I want to turn to one other topic before we get to our final topic of holiness, but it's about this image of you in prayer, in, chap- in the chapel, in Rome, and you had this sense of God making all these promises to you of answering these deepest desires of your heart. How has God been faithful and fulfilled some of those promises in your life as a sister
1: I think first that that desire to be loved to realize in just through a life of prayer that that I am infinitely loved mm-hmm. and that is hard well, I guess I could say it 's impossible hmm. to fathom yeah. what that means that the the time that I'm gifted with as a religious to sit before the Lord and bask in infinite love is, is a privilege that I can't take for granted. Hmm. And then learning that in that desire to be loved that I, am, I can also love others without limits. And I think that that was the harder lesson for me to learn. Like I want to, you know, I'm telling the Lord, I want, to, I want to be loved. I want to be a bride. I want to have family. I want to, to be for the church. But in order to do all of those things, like I have to learn that I'm capable of loving only because I've let God's love into my heart first. Hmm. And so the first way he's been faithful is that he hasn't given up on me, right? He <laughs> continues to, to love me more and to take away the obstacles. It's not that his love for me changes, is that he kind of can, can take away all those blocks that I've put up from fear or from sinfulness that, that keep his love from getting, from getting into my heart. And he's, it's amazing. Just when I think, I'm like, oh, awesome. We removed that obstacle. And God is like, and now you're ready. <laughs> Let's look at this one. And he he just continues to, to make make my heart bigger, I guess I could say, make my heart bigger to receive more love and then to give it. But I, I think the other thing is I've grown as a religious sister is growing in, in what it means to be a spiritual mother. Hmm. And how deeply I can love these students, these, these girls at my school right now that, that have been entrusted to me. It's incredible. And and the, the love that, that the girls can feel that can experience from us, it's again, it's hard to put into words, but it's real. There's a spiritual motherhood that is very real and that isn't, I couldn't have guessed it. I couldn't have imagined it and I can't really explain it. But that desire to be a mother is is so fulfilled in life as a religious sister. It was something I thought I was sacrificing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I've been incredibly amazed by the way the Lord has multiplied that my children. I guess you could say, and and that the, the desires only increased my desire to be a mother to more. And yeah, so his his faithfulness only. It only makes me excited for it that I read. I don't remember who said it, but I read a quote once that look forward to the faithfulness of God. Hmm. And it's like, great Lord, you've, you've been faithful so far. Like what's, what's coming next, you know, in this next 20 years, I can look forward without doubt to your faithfulness, which is a great source of hope and joy.
0: Yeah. And there's moments and they are moments of grace where I've experienced them in my life, but You look back at your younger self and you're uh, amused a little bit by some of the fears that you had because you just didn't realize how faithful the Lord would be or how much the Lord could bless your life if you just opened yourself to His will.
1: Yes, it's so true. And we we realized that, yeah, that those fears were, we were making them bigger than they were uh, for sure. Um, maybe there was nothing to fear at all this living in the present moment makes such a difference right we hmm. we think about things that probably are never going to happen sometimes <laughs> and that that can create fear but when we learn that that gift of living in the present moment when we learn that the only moment to experience to encounter god's grace is is the present moment the only it, the only place we actually find God's grace is in reality. Hmm. And a lot of times our fears aren't fears for this moment. A lot of times our fears aren't reality. And so when we can just let go of that long enough to reach for the Lord, He, yeah, He just shows us, you have nothing to fear. Do not be afraid.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's turn to holiness then. You mentioned the desire that we're all given to be saints who have been the saintly models for you, either in the canon of saints or just holy people in your life who have inspired you?
1: My my two favorite saints, and I've talked about St. Cecilia a lot, that, that she is for sure my favorite. And she's known as the patroness of music, but is she, her story, there's so much more to her story. And what I love about Cecilia is that she she was bold in proclaiming the faith and as a Dominican, right, we're the order of preachers. So we were, we were founded to go and preach the truth, mm-hmm. but Cecilia, you know, she's known for the singing, but I don't know how well she sang. I'm sure she had a lovely voice, but that's not the point hmm. that it was her prayer to God. And then the fact that she could teach the truth so boldly and with such courage that she was willing to face martyrdom and the way that she died. I could I could spend a whole hour telling her story, but I I am so inspired by her and her yes to the Lord at a young age. And then the way she lived it out and brought so many others to the faith, even though she never did have her own children and, and her husband Valerian, he came to the faith and they lived purely together before they were both martyred, actually. So and now I can see her as a role model, this virgin martyr who mothered so many in her curse. So I love St. Cecilia and the other saint whom I love so much is St. Claire and St. Claire is one of those saints who just chose me. I, I was almost trying not to like Claire. This is when I was (laughs) confirmed. I, I, but I just, she just kept saying, pick me, pick me, but she, I love Claire's love for the Eucharist. And the, I, her story, the story where she is, is faced with this, you know, oncoming army. Right. And she's trying to protect her sisters and she gets the monstrance and she goes out to the wall of the convent and holds the monstrance up and is like, Lord, this is your problem. (laughs) You know, like we are yours. This is your problem. And the the army turns back. And I, I love that. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. I
1: love that the Eucharistic Lord, she had such confidence in the Eucharistic Lord that she wasn't afraid and that it 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 changed the her courage and, and because she entrusted herself to the Lord, like it changed the, those around her and, and so yeah, Claire and, and Cecilia are my are my two favorites. I'm I'm very blessed. One of the perks of being a sister is is living with women who have also given everything mm-hmm. up to be God's. And it, or to, excuse yeah, to be God's like to belong to Him, <laughs> to belong to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, even, the, we're, right? It's family. It's not like any of us are perfect. Sure. But it's very inspiring to know that everybody I'm, I'm, surrounding myself with is aspiring to holiness in a very radical way, and just the witness of the sisters' fidelity of of being at prayers every day of living the monastic observance of of their obedience, of their, their poverty and their, their chastity. I, I never, there's never a moment where I can't look beside me and be inspired. And Mm -hmm. that is truly the gift of religious life. So it would be hard to name all the, all the great models who, whom I live with, but I certainly am surrounded by
0: them. Yeah, that's wonderful for you in your own life as a religious sister in your prayer practices anything like that what has been most meaningful for you as you strive to live a holy life
1: i think perhaps coming to love the divine office so the uh, as you know the the church is always chanting the psalms you know around the world and all religious and all priests are, are singing the psalms daily and mm-hmm. And as Dominicans, we live a monastic life. And so we sing The Office three times a day. And learning to just to drink in the scriptures and then to chant them every day has has been so formative. It, it's incredible, especially as a young sister. I can remember moments where thoughts from scripture or even good quoting scripture would just come out. And I would think, where did that come from? But it's the life of the liturgy, mm. uh, the prayers that the church has given us, the prayers that the Holy spirit has given us in the scriptures. It has shaped me. Like it's forming me in a way I don't always sense, but then I can see the way it's changing how I, how I speak, how I interact with people how I pray, how I live in the silence. So yeah, I would say the divine office, the liturgy of the hours has definitely been formative for me.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that's a beautiful thought for us to end on. Sister Michaela, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule, your teaching and your prayer to talk with me today and to share these stories with our audience. I know that a lot of people are going to be inspired by what they hear, and are going to join in praying for you and certainly ask for your prayers for all of us.
1: Absolutely. You have my prayers, and I, I'm certainly grateful for the prayers of all of you. That's truly a gift.
0: You're very welcome. Well, that ends this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. As always, we invite you to share this episode if you know of someone who might be inspired by it, to subscribe to the podcast at a service that you're choosing, to rate the podcast on Apple, iTunes, if you really enjoyed it, and as always, to subscribe as well to our Faith ND Daily Gospel Reflection at faith.nd.edu slash signup. We thank you for joining us for this episode and for the whole season. Until next time and next season, you'll be in our prayers. God bless you all.